Thank you, Madison. Appreciate that. It's a good reminder that it's not just a club where friends get together and like to enjoy talking to one another, but it's a reminder that because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, when we gather, we gather in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that adds a whole new slant and purpose and meaning to our gatherings. Well, it's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. We appreciate your presence and thank God for the presence of his Holy Spirit and a promise fulfilled that he is here among us. We're going to open scripture this morning. And I just want to open us in a word of prayer because I, so I was thinking about um, the message this morning. I know that sometimes, <clears throat> well, all the time, I like to just charge into things. I'm a task-oriented person and I have a task to do and I want to charge in it and into it and do it. But I just want to make sure that we are all prepared to, to hear from God. That we just pause for a second, not that we haven't done that during our time of worship. But God, ha- if you're here, you're here for a purpose. Um, God has us in this book and in this chapter for a purpose. And what's going to be said, guided by the Holy Spirit, is for a purpose. And so I know that God wants to feed the sheep this morning. Let's just, just take a minute. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer for us to prepare our hearts um, in the presence of God to hear his holy word. Father, so we do not take your presence for granted. So we do not take your divine revelation, this precious gift, this treasure for granted of your word. So we do not take our salvation for granted. Father, we open our hearts to what you have for us individually and corporately. As your people. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well we are in the book of Nehemiah. As we continue our study. In that book this morning. And in chapter 2. Nehemiah after going. And, and assessing the situation. The atmosphere. Assessing the condition of the city. In the stealth of night, in chapter 2, goes public with his desires and public with his plan. And he basically calls the Israelites together and tells them the obvious. We're shamed. We are harassed. We are bullied. The city is in ruins. We are a people without protection from our enemies. And we are God's people and we are God's remnant. And God is not being worshipped as he deserves with us in this condition. So we have work to do. We have some building to do. It is time to build. And so what do they do? They build. They hear the call and they begin to labor in God's vineyard. And that's what chapter 3 is about. Chapter 3 tells us about the work that is done. But it does a little differently. Because chapter 3 is another chapter of names. It's another chapter of genealogies. Not, but not just genealogies. Nehemiah tells us the families, but also the section of the work or the gate that they built. The section of wall that they built. So, as all chapters that are primarily genealogy, it has a potential to be very, very dry and boring. But as always... 
There are lessons to be learned from every page of Scripture. So that's what we are after this morning. And I'm going to read chapter 3. I'm actually going to kind of, I guess you'd call select read or spot read it because it is somewhat redundant. And for the sake of time, I will just read the Scriptures that are most pertinent. But I'm going to read verse 1. Paul's there and then we'll go on to the rest of it. Chapter 3, the book of Nehemiah. Begins with this, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. I'm just going to stop there for a second. Nehemiah begins describing this process by naming the priests first. And the priests are building the section of wall that is closest to the temple, as well as the sheep gate. And it is believed that it was called the sheep gate because that was the gate that the sheep were brought in to be sacrificed to the Lord. So more than likely they were brought in that gate, but they probably didn't go back out that gate. They became sacrifices. Uh, Just a wonderful reminder during our time of worship that we didn't come through the sheep gate to get here this morning. We didn't or we didn't have to bring our sheep through the gate to come into the presence of God because the blood of Christ has been shed. The veil has been torn and we are in the presence of God because of that sacrifice. So there are the priests and they're building. They're getting their hands dirty and they are building the wall. They are digging through the rubble. They are digging through the ruins. They're Gathering the wood and so forth to make this project successful. But they're not just building. Nehemiah points something out I think is very important. That's why I wanted to pause here. And that is that they consecrated it. They consecrated their work for the Lord. And that just changes everything, I think. Because to consecrate means to set apart. It's to take something out of its common use and use it for a particular use. And that is to dedicate it to God. To to set it apart, to make it holy. So to make it hallowed, if you will. And so what they're doing, the, the rocks that they're laying, they're real rocks. The gates are made out of real wood and metal and so forth. They're strengthened with just materials of the earth. But when you consecrate something, it enters it into a different realm because now they are rocks that are being used for the Lord. That's what he means by consecrating it. So this very this work that has the potential to be very common and mundane has now just become a sacred work. It's now just become an opportunity Or an exercise in worshiping God. Because these are God's rocks. These are God's walls. These are God's gates for the protection of God's people. See, it's a a God thing that they're doing in building these walls. So they consecrate their work, their labor, their sweat to the Lord. And scripture often points out the differences between the common and the mundane. So when they were building the temple, they were using... Uh, uh, elements of worship, instruments of worship. So a bowl that may was made just like a bowl you might use in your house would be taken for temple use. And it's consecrated. It's anointed, meaning this is going to be used as an instrument of worship. So it's, it's different, even though it's made of the same material. And so this is a sacred thing that they're doing, this labor, because it's dedicated to God. And what that does is make 
everything spiritual. It makes it a spiritual exercise, not just a common thing or a mundane thing, but to be building this wall, to be driving nails, laying mortar, whatever, has just become a spiritual exercise because it is devoted to God. And just as important, I think, who would consecrate something to God and for his use, but those whose hearts are already consecrated. Those whose hearts are already set apart. Those whose lives have already been offered to God as a living sacrifice. I'm here to worship you. I'm here to serve you. And what the priests are saying, whereas they serve God in the holy of holies, in the most sacred place in the temple, they are also worshiping him and serving him by laying rocks, by digging in the rubble. By putting their work gloves on, rolling up their cloaks or their sleeves or hemming up their little gowns or whatever they do by serving him in this. So it's a consecrated heart that takes the things of this life and and dedicates them to God. Our work, our jobs, our family, our very breath, our songs, our, the thoughts of our minds, they are dedicated to God as an offering for him to use as he sees fit. And I, and I wanted to point that out. Because what dedicating does or, or consecrating things. Whether it's our car uh, for God's use. Our families for God's use. Our homes for God's use. Is it makes life about God and not about us. Just that one little step of taking the time to say this is an offering to you Lord makes that work about God and, and not about us. And I'm sure you've noticed that we are absolutely saturated in a self-centered, self-absorbed culture. I don't, I mean, everything is so about us. It is just incredible. We are on the throne, if you have not noticed. And and everything is supposed to be about what we want and and fitting around our comforts and our joys and our pleasures. We are absorbed in a very self-centered culture. Just this morning, I read an article that got my attention because it was about a 75-year-old woman, uh, a Briton. She's 75 years old. Nothing in particular wrong with her that isn't wrong with any other standard 75-year-old person. You know, she had her ailments and her aches and pains. But what she did is she um, she worked in like a nursing home, elderly care, and she saw how burdensome it was for children to have to take care of their parents, for caregivers to have to take care of the elderly. She saw the, the in her words, the tragedies of what it's like to grow old and all the things that you lose out on. And so she made the decision that she wasn't going to do that. She wasn't going to burden anybody. And she did not want to burden herself with growing any older. And so she went across to Switzerland to the life. I think it's called the Life Circle Center. I don't know why they call it the Life Circle Center. Because it's a place where it's, you can be legally euthanized. And she went and she had her life ended. Just like that. As healthy as any other 75-year-old woman. We are in the midst of and the same thing behind the abortions and the euthanasia. It's a self-centered, self-absorbed culture. No mention of 
the fact that we are here because we actually are image bearers. It's just all about us, not about God. It's not about our other people that we can affect. We are in the midst of a self-absorbed center. By consecrating our lives and all that we do, it makes that task, every task or every breath, how it should be. And that is, it's, it's not just about us. It's about God in us. It's about God through us. And we have to keep that mindset, especially as believers, because that's where we find our joy and, and satisfaction in our existence. That's where we find our meaning. It is living for the glory of God and doing everything for the glory of God. And especially as believers, when we, we lose that attitude or we lose that, that mindset, then we find ourselves going through the motions and it's not fun anymore. It's not bringing us joy because somewhere along the line, we, we lost this attitude that I get up in the morning, not for just my own pleasure, but for God's pleasure. And the things I do today or for God's pleasure. That's how we get a happy heart. If we want a happy heart, we want to keep things consecrated to God. So just a reminder, somewhere along the line, we've lost sight of that. Uh, We've taken our lives back and we've made it about us. Might be a good time to just between you and the Lord, offer your life, dedicate it, consecrate it to God. If there's something in our lives that is no longer pleasurable or joyful, maybe we have taken it back from God and it's become about us and not God. Rededicate it. Reoffer it. May it become a pleasure in our lives again. And now we move on to our select readings, verse 2. And next to him, so you have the priest, next to him the men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri built. Verse 3, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshebabol, Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. Verse 5, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Then he goes on. Verse eight. Next to them, Uzziah, the son of Herhahiah, the goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Go down to verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem repaired. He and his daughters and then verse 13, half of that, they rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, bars, repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Uh, verse 15, Shalom, the son of Kohahaz, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. Verse 23, and then Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own House And it goes on very similar, just more names. They are different gates and different portions of the wall. And then all the way to verse 31. After him, Malkajah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And it comes all the way back to verse 32, the sheep gate. 
the goldsmiths, the merchants repaired. What this chapter does is it teaches us uh, about leaders. It teaches us about people. First, we see co-laborers. Now, reading these names, quite frankly, is not very exciting. It's kind of boring because um, do they ring a bell? No, I don't know them. I don't know their families. I don't really know anything about them. So it doesn't excite me to read about them. However, it offers me encouragement because I'm reading this and I'm realizing, look who made it into God's holy book. Ordinary people, merchants, goldsmiths, perfumers, not just high priests, not just the Ezra's or the Nehemiah's. But the labors. So the, the common folk, they show up for the job. They dig in. They get to work. They accomplish or are in the midst of accomplishing God's plan. Just normal, hardworking folks. And they made it in to Holy Scripture. And the reason that is encouraging is because it tells us that God takes note. It tells us who God is aware of. It tells us the things that God looks at. The people that his eyes are upon and his eyes are upon everyone, all of his servants, no matter where they are in the rank and file of the kingdom of God or even on a social status. So matter, no matter who we are, no matter who we aren't, God takes note. What's he looking at? He notices when we punch in for kingdom service. He notices when we punch back out. He notices the work that we have accomplished. So these are a list of families of names of people that serve God in this season of rebuilding. And we don't know who they are. And they're like, ha, 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 I made it into the good book. I made it into Holy Scripture. And all I did was dig into rubble. Well, all they did was show up in obedience to the Lord. And they were noticed. Now, Revelation, as we know, is complete. The book's closed. We are not to take away from it. We are not to add to it. And so we cannot expect that there will be another book of the Bible with our names in it. However, we can expect that God takes note of ordinary people. We can expect that he is aware of what we do with our day, with what... With what we do with our faith, he knows when we show up, he knows when we should have showed up and didn't. He knows what we, what we do when we show up. He knows what, when, what we do when we wake up. And it's focus on kingdom work. And it's interesting that, you know, you can read just about anywhere in Scripture. And one major theme when it comes to the people of God is that everybody counts. Everybody has a place. How many times have we heard that just this year? It is so important. Every believer God desires to use for very important tasks that he has designed for building the kingdom of God. For heaven to come to earth. All of these things. So we put money in the plate. God takes note. We arrange flowers for the people. To the glory of God. God takes note. We pray for somebody when we come to church. We offer a word of encouragement. We work the sound. We make sure things are, uh, we make sure the climate is right so that people can be 
comfortable as they worship and focus on the Lord. God takes note of all these things. God has taken note of the things that have been accomplished in order for us to even have a meeting here every Sunday. When we join in worship, when we sign up for that long list of needed food for the retreats and volunteer something from that. When we answer the phone or make a phone call to a needy person. When we attend a meeting. When we wipe a table. When we change a diaper. See, all of these things that we do on a regular basis are not mundane. They are sacred kingdom building things. And all of these things that we're doing, every note, every word spoken, every thought, God takes note and it goes into the, the process of building his kingdom. So every believer is a co-laborer with God. An excellent passage for this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 7 through 11. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now look at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Verse 10, let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, this context is the Corinthians were making a big fuss about who they followed. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. And Paul just says, that point is mute. Why are you bragging or boasting about why is Why are you making that more important than it really is? Everyone has a place. We're just servants. We're all working for the same God. We all have different roles and assignments that we are to fulfill. We serve in different ways. We speak in different ways. And we're his field. We're his building. He works in us so that we will work for him. He serves us so that we will serve him through the body of Christ. So we're co-laborers. We're Kingdom builders, all of us here this morning, if you are a child of God, you are co-laboring with God himself. Now, why does God allow us to join in this mission, this labor of kingdom building, of doing this, of establishing his plans on earth, of redeeming the cursed world? When he's so mighty and powerful and wise, we know he could just do it all himself. I mean, he spoke it all into existence. So why... Are we co-laborers? Why would he want us to join in this? Are we just his little grunts? Here, you do my dirty work. I'm too good for that. That's the Greek God mindset. To the, and, and the Greeks, actually. Uh, menial labor is just, uh, it's a lesser thing for lesser beings. And so the Greek gods would have the, the lesser beings of humanity Lesser ranks accomplish the menial labor because uh, they're above that. was beneath them. And yet the God of Scripture is what? He is the God who serves. He's the God who works. He's the God who does the little grunt work and likes it. Takes great pleasure and, and joy in being able to serve others in that capacity. And so... Our God makes servanthood, even these menial jobs, absolutely sacred. 
a holy thing to do. Not a lesser thing to do, but a, but a beautiful thing to do. As we labor in the classroom, as we labor in the workforce, as we labor at home, as we do our chores of cleaning the house and taking out the trash. And all of these things can be done as unto the Lord and need to be done and play an important part in the mission of his kingdom. So in essence, because God loves to serve, he invites us into the joy of serving. So it's not so much that we have to, though we are commanded. The bigger emphasis is that we get to. We get to be a part about uh, of this wonderful mission of redeeming mankind. So the gospel of saving a soul is a wonderful thing. God could do it himself, but he invites us into the joy and the pleasure of watching someone step out of the darkness and into the light. We get to be a part of that. We may be used by God to say the very words, to quote the very scripture that it took to enlighten that mind, to bring them into that state of freedom. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Mark Driscoll tells a story. I can still remember I was a little boy. My dad, Joe, he was a construction worker. Union drywaller, 20 Plus years till he broke his back. He would wear steel-toed work boots and jeans and a white t-shirt and hard hat and go to work with his lunchbox. Well, at three years of age, guess what I wanted? Steel-toed work boots, jeans, white t-shirt, lunchbox, and a hard hat. Because I wanted to go to work with my dad. So a couple times my dad actually took me to work with him and he would give me scrap wood and a hammer and nails and I would just pound on it. And I'd just hang out with dad. I wanted to see what my dad was doing. I wanted to be with my dad, wanted to be like my dad, wanted to be doing whatever my dad was doing. There it is. See, God's our, our father. He's our heavenly father and when we labor with him, we get to know him. We get to spend time with him. We get to learn about his heart and we get to share in the joy of a job well done. We get to share in the joy of a mission accomplished. Share in the joy of victory over evil and darkness. Share in his pleasures. These families, these labors, these co-labors are kingdom builders unknown to us, but recognized by God. God knows our names. He knows about the Allens. He knows about the Hunters and the Taylors, the Barretts and the Roberts. He knows your name, your family and the individuals and everything you do for His kingdom. And He takes pleasure in that. And we can share in that pleasure. Second, we have coordination. Nehemiah is actually one of the greatest books in the Bible about coordination and about leadership principles. And, you know, we think about leaders and we often forget that when it gets right down to it, most of us function as a leader of some kind. And we have a tendency to think about the president or politicians or, or just pastors or, or, or just bosses. But most of us in one capacity or another serve as a leader. If you're a big brother or a big sister, guess what? 
Some little eyes are looking up to you for leadership. Little eyes are looking up to you for how to act. What's my next move? What's my next step? That's leadership. If you're a parent, you are in a leadership position. If you're a coach, you are in a leadership position. Any kind of supervisor. All of these things require leadership skills. And one of the first things that a leader does is define and organize his task. And that's what we find in this book. He, Nehemiah has this huge task. We've got to build the wall around our city to protect ourselves so that we can rebuild our lives of worship. And so what does he do? He looks at this huge task, but then he assesses what he has to work with, all the families, 40-some families. And so he divides the task into manageable section as, sections as manageable as they possibly can be, and he assigns families or tribes to each section of the wall. And they are subdivided into the sections of gates, between gates. And there's approximately nine gates in this city. The gates, as if you were to read that chapter, are fairly self-explanatory. The sheep gate, the sheep went through. The fish gate was probably the gate where you brought your fish through in the different markets. And the dung gate, guess what, probably went in and out of that. So it's somewhat um, self-explanatory. So he's organizing this. And in this book, you... If you were to look, actually look all of these gates and sections of walls, you'd find that he's starting at the sheep gate and he's working counterclockwise. And he goes all the way around the nine gates and, and ends once again at the sheep gate. And it turns out that these sections, these nine sections, also represent the nine districts or neighborhoods, the hoods in Jerusalem in the city. Because they were also divided that way. And so people were divided to build the wall or protect labor for their own, their own people, their own family, their own neighborhood. So your work not just benefits you, it's benefiting your people. It's benefiting your cousins and your family um, and your neighborhood. So there, Jerusalem has been in ruins for approximately 140 years. The altar's been built, we know, through Ezra. The temple's been built. But the city is in ruins. The people are vulnerable. They lack protection. They're being bullied. They can't worship God as they were intended to. And so here's this man who has a broken heart for this broken city. And he intends to do something about it. God has burdened his heart in that way. So what's the task before him? Build the walls. They say the walls will be approximately um, three to four feet wide, 15 to 20 feet high. Extending about two and a half miles. That's quite a task. That's a lot of rock. And these are big rocks. But they need these walls to offer them protection. So he, he coordinates this. And he makes the project feasible. And by doing this, every family knew what was expected of them. Every family knew where they were supposed to show up for work. And what they were supposed to do. And every family knew that their labor was actually benefiting not just themselves, but their brother, sister, and their whole neighborhood, their cousins, and so forth. That, that their work depended on craftsmanship and quality. It depended upon them to protect their fellow man. So they knew what to do. Some of them had to start from scratch. Some of them just had to build on top of what wasn't completely ruined. But they all had their assignments. We find the same thing in the New Testament, though it's, a, it's fulfilled in the spiritual level, and that is that God has assignments in 
building his kingdom and building the body of Christ in the New Testament. God uses the body of Christ, the people in the body to do what? To build the body of Christ. That's what we do. In building the body of Christ, of course, we evangelize the world. But God assigns us what? Gifts. He has assigned us certain ways to serve him. If we have the gift of teaching, if we have the gift of encouragement, what is that? What is God telling us? This is my assignment for you. This is how I want you to build up the body of Christ. This is how I want you to function within the kingdom of God. Use that heart of encouragement and build my people up. Use that platform to teach and fill my people's minds with biblical knowledge. Use your ability and your talents to serve to make my people comfortable, to, make, to help them to get where they need to be and to stay there. We have particular gifts to perform particular projects for the kingdom of God. So in a sense, really, God is, has organized the church. Yeah, we need pastors and leaders perhaps to plug the gifts in, in, in different places where they're needed. But hasn't God already, through the Holy Spirit, assigned us the, the specialized things or ways that he wants us to function in his body? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into us with that saving Grace, he brings with him not just salvation, but he brings with him special gifts, spiritual gifts. And that's communicating to us for now. Here's how you are to serve. We might have one. Some of us have a half a dozen or more. They are assignments. Here's how I want you to build the body right now with your life. This is what I want you to do with it. So God really through the Holy Spirit organizes us. We know what we should be signing up for. When the need arises, it's what fits our gift primarily. Now, we all are to serve him generically if there's a need that arises. And that's what the people of Israel are doing. But who's serving him? Goldsmiths or setting rocks? These guys with the fine-tuned hands. Perfumers? What's that got to do with construction? I don't know. But they're serving the Lord in specific ways to nurture the people. The body of Christ. And what's happening is, as each one performs their assignment, the whole body's being built. It's being made whole. It's, it's, it's healthy. It's a sign of health and wholeness. And these gifts are like uh, jobs that are specialty jobs. Just like we, there's things we can do around the house or, ourselves, the do-it-yourselfers. And there's things we've got to call in the professionals to do. And so, in a sense, there are people that have the specialty gifts to be served, to serve the body in special ways when the need arises. If they didn't do the work properly, there would be a weakness in the wall. They all knew that. They all knew that their work was very important. The whole community would be vulnerable, not first their neighborhood, yeah, but then the whole city would be vulnerable if they did not do their work right, if they didn't show up, if they didn't exercise their talent. And it's the same thing with the body of Christ. When we fail to exercise the assignments that God has given us, you know the body suffers. We know that. I know that. There's been times where I have not stepped up with my gift and used it. 
And I had to live with the fact that because of that incident, the body of Christ suffered. It did not receive what God intended it to receive. Now, praise God for the blood of Christ and forgiveness and fresh starts and, and mercy. But that's what it's about. We have our own little section of wall that God has assigned us for kingdom building our own little mission. And yet, the beauty of it is that it all fits into the, fits into the big picture. That each little assignment affects the one, the family to the left and the family to the right. So, they're all laboring in different areas and different sections, but it's all building up the whole city. They all know what everybody's doing. They know that behind them is being built as well because they are fulfilling their assignments according to their organization. And they're growing in that area. We all have individual assignments. But notice what Nehemiah said. It's a phrase that's mentioned over 20 times next to him, next to him. I didn't read the whole chapter, but you get tired of hearing it. And next to him and next to him. So this tribe's building and then next to him there's another tribe building. So it's, it's linked arms in a sense. It's teamwork. We are laboring with our brothers and sisters contributing to the whole well-being of the all side by side. That's what we do each Sunday, really. We come, we have our individually, individual gifts, but we all labor to make the whole service happen. We're laboring to make the body of Christ manifest in our communities, in our workplace. We all have the same theological mindset and purpose, though we're doing different things. It's serving the same purpose. It benefits the body of Christ. We use our gifts and our talents. So they have a relational unity. They know one another. They love one another. And they are serving God and laboring for God together. And another practical note about this. Verse 10. Um, Nehemiah assigned them the section of wall that was opposite their house. And that's a pretty practical thing to do. Because you're not, you're not just protecting your neighbor's house. By building that wall, you're protecting your own home and your own things. Stan Ever says, the builders did not waste valuable time commuting from one end of Jerusalem to the other. This practical arrangement meant that it was easy for workers to be fed, go home and get a bite to eat. And also that in the event of attack, each man was at hand to protect his own family. Thus, each person was relieved from undue anxiety and pressure and was free to give of his best to the task appointed to him by Nehemiah. So rather than dad laboring, wondering how his kids were doing on the other side, the south side of the wall, if he hears a battle or skirmish going on there, he's able to focus because he knows my family's here with me. They're protected. They're being well fed and so forth. The battle's not over there. The battle's here. The battle's in our own home. The battle is in our own neighborhood. Here's where we are. And so really, you know, when we, when we bring God's glory into our homes... We're, we're keeping the evil out. We're protecting our own. We're, we're growing it. We're establishing it. And then third, cooperation. Everybody worked rich, poor, young, old, male, female. They all worked. They were all driven to accomplish the same thing. Priests, merchants, goldsmiths. They all cooperated. Verse 12, even the women pitched in. 
Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Now, whenever women are mentioned in Scripture, it's for a specific purpose because that culture didn't normally recognize the work of women. And yet, Nehemiah is sure to point out the fact that even the girls or the ladies, whether they were single or married, they were getting their hands dirty. It didn't mean that they didn't still have other responsibilities, but it meant that they showed up. And they worked what would consider a man's, it would be a man's job. They put hours in on the wall. You know, there's tasks that require, there's times that require everybody, young and old, male and female, to do. It's not uncommon for us to see, like on work days or when things to be done, the, the ladies in our congregation with the babies on their hips, they're working right alongside and doing what needs to be done. It's an honorable thing. And personally, I kind of wonder if this Shalom, this man, this leader wasn't really, this was a good move, I think, because just by human nature, what happens? Let's just assume there were singles out there. Now, what do young men usually do when there's young ladies in their presence? They work a little harder because they want to be noticed. And man, I tell you what, a good way to get your muscles noticed is picking up rocks. I bet that section of the wall went up the fastest. That was a smart move. What's your secret over there? The girls have your daughters work. You wouldn't believe how hard these guys are working over here. And then lastly, conceit. So they all worked hard. They all join with one exception. Verse 5, next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Their people stooped, but their nobles would not. They didn't put their backs into it. They weren't submitting to the leadership. They weren't submitting to Nehemiah or their supervisors. What is this? Pride. How much work is not done in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ because of pride? I'm not doing that. See, I guess these, these were the nobles, the suits. I have a degree. And people with my degree and this kind of suit, we don't do that kind of work. We're in a different category. Pride destroys humility. Pride destroys ministry because ministry is about humility. To be like Christ is to be willing to do what needs to be done, including washing dirty feet. Can you believe the God of the universe, as glorious and majestic as he stooped down and washed dirty feet? He did. And he enjoyed it. He does what needs to be done. He is a serving kind of God, a menial task. It's not menial. Why does he do it? Because he loves. He loves the church. He loves his people. He loves to serve. He wants to see them blessed. What is Jesus, a servant leader? Servant leadership. And these nobles refused. That's not Christianity. You know what Christianity is? It's a story about the God who stooped. That's what it's all about. That's the good news. He didn't stay and keep to himself, he stooped down and got on our level and he helped us where we are. And he, he served us in such a way that we can join him. He gets his hands dirty. And that's the example that we are to follow. Jesus blew the, the cultural rank and file stuff out of the water when he washed people's feet. So he didn't just carry this distinct authority, but he also 
served. If we ever think that we're too good for something, we need to rethink that as believers and follow the path of humility that Christ forged for us. I, I will say I have to commend this congregation, and I think an example of humility and teamwork and so forth is Sunday during our fellowship meals. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to just see how this place comes alive. We look like this, and then about 15 minutes later, there's tables set up, there's chairs outside, there's food over here, there's people in the kitchen. It's like everybody joins and does what has to be done to make that happen. I think that's humility. That people don't sit on the sides and let the grunts do it. Everybody, you wipe a table, whatever needs to be done. Carry out a dish of food. We've already brought it. I think that's a, that's a mark of humility. I think that honors the Lord. I appreciate that about our body. Then I just want to point out one last thing as we close. And promise this is the actual last thing. You know, because some of the... Uh, well, there's, there's something that happened in here, I think, that we see today. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 27. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the section the great, of the great projecting tower. So here you have the Tekoites. Now, these are the clans, the people that their nobles refused to stoop. And what are the ordinary people doing? They're not only working on this section, they're working on another section. They're doing a lot of times when in the body of Christ, people don't do what they're supposed to do and they don't pitch in. It means somebody else has to do it. Somebody else has to pull double time and bless their hearts. They're willing to do that. If that needs to be done. OK, I got my wall. I'll, I'll do that one, too. It needs to be done. It's in the kingdom of God. That's a humble attitude. So here they are. God's people. One hundred forty years, one hundred forty one years of a city in ruins. They're rebuilding their lives of worship. They're digging in the rubble. They're sweating over the rocks. They're heaving them into the place. And it is their act of worship before the Lord because it's, it's consecrated. It's dedicated. That was their ministry to God. And this season, picking up rocks. Picking up rocks. And that's what earned their names in the Holy Book. In the Holy Book, picking up rocks. Rocks. It doesn't sound very appealing, but it was God's plan and it brought great pleasure to God. All ministry is important. Your ministry is important to God Almighty. Find your place and thrive in the body of Christ so that we can rejoice together brick by brick, soul by soul, change life by change life. May God bless the preaching of His Word.